Welcome back to the Deep Decline Podcast. Uh, yeah, sorry about last week. Um, recorded the episode uh, multiple times, and for whatever reason, the uh, my, the uh, the software that I use to record and uh, edit the uh, podcast kind of crashed twice in a row, and neither time was the file recoverable. So uh, because of technical difficulties, we weren't able to get out an episode last week. Um, but no worries, uh, back at it again this week, uh, and hoping to get out a pretty good one. Because of the uh, craziness of the Western Conference playoff race, uh, we're getting uh, that's the kind of deep dive this week is into the Western Conference playoff race, uh, what to expect as it uh, winds its way out over the last month and a half of the season. Um, as of before last night's games, three through seven in the Western Conference were all theoretically tied, and then their order was dis- determined by various tiebreakers. But uh, after a couple games last night, it's it's not as tied um, currently, but it's still an extremely tight race. Um, there's four teams um, that are tied with the same number in the loss column, running from the three seed currently to the ten seed, and the teams are separated with Portland at the top. Um, between Portland and Utah, there's only four games of separation total between all the teams, and so it's going to be a pretty insane race um, to finish out the season. That's for sure. There's um, five thirty-eight has actually every of those last every one of those teams has a fifty percent chance or greater to make the playoffs, and it will almost certainly uh, be decided by some combination of tiebreakers. So, um, kind of before kind of uh, breaking down each team and talking about um, where they sit and uh, what to expect from them, going to go over their record, uh, kind of their games left, um, what they're looking at, um, what their breakdown of their games left is. So. To start, um, we've got Portland. They're currently sitting at this three seed. Uh, they're 37 and 26. We got 19 games left. 10 at home, nine on the road. Um, they're they've got 12 games against uh, teams that are above 500 left. Three games against teams that are in the tank race. Um, they only have two uh, separate back to backs, um, and then they have seven games remaining against teams, uh, other teams in this in this race for the Western Conference. Um, and their 538 gives them a 89% chance of making the playoffs. Um, currently in the fourth seed, we got Minnesota. They're 38 and 28. Um, they're half a game back from Portland. Um, they have 16 games left. They've actually played the most uh, games out of any of these teams that I'm going to talk about today. Nine uh, of their remaining games are at home, seven are away. Uh, Ten games left against teams that are above 500. That's the lowest of the bunch. Uh, four games against teams in the tank race, and then uh, they don't have any back-to-backs left. And um, they have five games against teams within the in the playoff race, um, and 538 actually gives them a 92% chance, and we'll get into why uh, their chance percentage is so much higher than, say, Portland, who has have a game on them um, a little bit later. The fifth seed currently is New Orleans uh, at 35-26. and 26. They're about a game behind Portland. Uh, they have 21 games left, which is tied for the Clippers for the most left. Uh, 12 at home, 9 on the road. Uh, 13 of those games are against uh, teams above 500. Five of them are against teams that are in the tank race. Uh, they have three back-to-backs left, second most. Um, they also they ha- also have seven left against teams in the playoff race. So five three eight actually gives them um, a, a rather a lower chance. Um, they're seventy six percent, and there's a team below them uh, further down in the in the current standings that has a better chance. Um, San Antonio six sits at the sixth seed currently. Uh, they're thirty six and twenty seven. Um, they're also a game back from Minnesota because. They're a game up in the loss column, despite being two games back in the win column. They have 19 games left, 11 at home, 8 on the road. Um, they've got 14, the most games left against teams above 500. Um, they have only three games left against the tank, against teams in the tank race, and they have one back-to-back. 
Uh, they have eight games left against, uh, left against teams in this uh, playoff race here in the Western Conference, so almost the majority of their games left are against teams, and they have uh, only a 65% chance, according to a 538, of making the playoffs. Um, currently in the seventh seed, we've got o the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're 37-28, and 28, uh, so they're virtually tied with New Orleans and San Antonio as being a game back from Portland. They have 17 games left, uh, the second least amount of this group. Uh, 10 at home, 7 on the road. Uh, 13 of those games are against teams that are above 500. Uh, four games against teams that are currently in the tank race. Uh, two back-to-backs. Um, uh, six and six against the teams in the in the rest, and they, they actually have an 86% chance. So 538 gives them the third best chance to make the playoffs. Um, then we have Denver, their eighth. Uh, they're 35 and 28. They're about two games back from Portland. They have 19 left. They are the only team that has the majority not at home. Um, they've got eight at home, 11 on the road remaining. Um, they've got 12 games left against the teams above 500. Four games left against teams in the tank um, race. They have only one back to back. And then they also only have four games left against teams in this race, so they have the least amount uh, against teams in this race, and 538 gives them a 72% chance of making the playoffs. Then, uh, currently sitting at ninth and about a game out of the playoffs is the Clippers. Um, they're 33-28. and 28. Um, They have 21 games left, which is tied for New Orleans for the most. Um, 11 at home, 10 on the road. Uh, 13 of the 21 are against teams above 500. Only 3 of the 21 are against teams that are in the tank race. They have four back-to-backs, which is the most, and they also have nine games against teams still in this in this playoff race that I'm going to cover today, which is also the most. And because of a, those factors, 538 actually only gives them a 58% chance of making the playoffs. Finally, we have Utah. They currently sit 10th at 33-30. Uh, They're about four games back from Portland and two games back from Denver for the last spot. They have 19 games left, 10 at home, 9 on the road. Uh, 10 of those 19 are against teams above 500. Uh, but they do have the most games against teams uh, in the tank race, seven against teams in the tank race currently. They have two back-to-backs and only five against uh, teams left in the race, in this race that we're talking about today. And so they and they have a 62% chance of making it to the playoffs, according to 538. So that's just a general overview. I mean, obviously, this is pretty tight. Four games separating Portland and Utah, and that's four games in both the win and loss columns. It's, it's a pretty tight uh, tight race no matter what you look at it a lot of these teams I'm going to go over the kind of the tiebreakers when I talk about each individual team a little bit um, when, I, when I kind of put the tiebreakers in the chart uh, in a chart to kind of look at like all right who's won who's lost it's so tight um, there's very few tiebreakers that um, one team has just completely dominated and for the most part it is it is a tight race between these teams and you know going off of 538's percentages we can kind of get a general idea of who will make the playoffs and I'll talk about more about who I expect to make it but um, it's kind of, it kind of, you don't see races as tight as this from top to bottom. You know, you might see like four or five teams vying for the last two spots or the last three spots, vice versa. But to have basically, you know, we've got eight teams here that are vying for the last uh, six spots. And theoretically, any combination of these teams could make it uh, based on how the record would play out in the schedule. And so it's certainly going to be an exciting race over the last month and a half. I, I'm pumped. There's going to be some great games in here and, 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 Whatever the Western Conference playoffs is going to be, despite the fact that there's talk that, you know, might as well just give up. Houston, it's either going to be Houston or Golden State, and no one really can challenge them. That might be true, but um, no matter what's going to happen, um, at least uh, two of the or four of these eight teams are going to play each other and give us some good first round matchups. And the other two that's, that the other two that sneak in hopefully will be able to um, make some fun with the Houston Golden State matchup that they're handed. So to go into uh, each team, Specifically, we have Fort versus Portland. Like I said, they're third. Um, 
they're 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 not sitting very well when it comes to tiebreakers. Um, uh, against the other seven teams, they have currently clinched one as a winning one and t- clinched tying one. Um, they have clinched. Uh, they're tied with Minnesota. Their season series split two two, and they uh, have beat clinched the win against OKC in the season series. They have four games against Oklahoma City, but they've already won three. So there's no way for Oklahoma City to tie. Um, I, I just want to talk about these tiebreakers specifically for each team, just because that's the first tiebreaker when it comes to seeding or who makes it in and out is uh, which team has won the season series, and so that's important. Um, Portland is tied in two others that are still happening, and they're losing in three others. Um, but they could t- they could end up tying the two they're tied in. They could end up winning, um, and then the three that they ha- they're uh, losing in, they're only the, only the season series is down one two, and they do have a chance to even it up in their last game. So theoretically, the Portland could come out of this and be tied in all but one um, if if everything happens the right way. Um, but uh, to talk about with. Portland, um, obviously, I don't think um, Damian Lillard is kind of getting the coverage he needs. Um, he's actually been really, really under the radar. You know, he was kind of, I guess, a, th- a lot of people called him a throw-in. Um, many people, for the All-Star game, many people thought that Paul George should probably have made it over him, that he didn't really deserve it like Paul George did. And kind of when you look into his numbers, that's kind of a it's a pretty bad narrative in my opinion. Um, Lillard has quietly had a pretty mu- uh, much better season than even Kyrie. Um Lillard's averaging 26 points, 7 assists, 5 rebounds on 60% true shooting per game. Um, he's also 5th in the NBA in win scoring, kind of, and he's not that far back from, you know, the, the big ones that you would expect, Harden, um, you know, Giannis, and LeBron. He's pretty close to those three guys. And, and uh, he, he's, you know, he's significantly better. Um, he's better than Kyrie in just about every statistical category. Um, he's got a little bit higher, like, usage, more shots taken. And so his, his shooting percentage is a little bit lower than Kyrie. But, um, you know, he's beaten Kyrie in assists. He's beaten Kyrie in rebounds. He's beaten Kyrie in steals. He's beaten Kyrie in blocks. He's beaten Kyrie in free throw percentage. He's beaten Kyrie in getting to the free throw line. And so I think um, one of the things I was going to talk about last week is how, like, for whatever reason, a narrative shapes and that kind of decides, sways public opinion one way or the other. And obviously because of Kyrie's spotlight, next to LeBron and then you know now he's 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 on Brad Stevens team in Boston and they they jumped out to a few a really good hot start there's just this narrative that for whatever reason Kyrie is like the significantly better than someone like Damian Lillard when you when you look at it is probably a lot closer than most people expect and the argument can certainly be made that Dame is actually better than Kyrie um so uh I think Portland is kind of you know even though they're only half game up they're kind of set in a nice way you know they got three games left against Tank Tanking teams to that, that that should be banked wins they'll, they'll, to get them to forty, but I think they'll obviously have more than forty. I mean, they have got three games against tank teams and uh, and four other games against under five hundred teams. So if you can bank those seven games, that that'll put you at forty four wins. It's uh, looking like that probably would put them in like eighth or just outside of the playoffs right now. But I expect them to win a couple more, obviously. Um, I think the kind of make or break is they have a the, they have a brutal last week of the season. They go at the Rockets, at the Spurs, at the Nuggets, and then home versus the Jazz. So obviously that that plays the Rockets, the best team in the West, and then four teams that are or three teams that are going to be in this race. And so uh, it, how they finish is probably going to determine not only their seeding but whether or not they make the playoffs. I mean, even if they continue to play strong and they're in a position where you know maybe they separate themselves a little bit from the guys in ninth and tenth and maybe eighth, still you know losing. If they lose three of those those four to end the season, or even all four, they could find themselves falling from like the third seed to all of a sudden they're the seventh seed or the eighth seed or or or, or, or even out of the playoffs. And so um, they kind of continue to plug along, and I think Lillard and McCollum will kind of see them through and they'll make the playoffs. But um, that last little stretch there at the very end is kind of likely to determine 
what their first round matchup looks like if they get home court advantage and um, if they have any chance of advancing to the second round. Moving on to Minnesota, um, obviously the story with Minnesota is um, the loss of Jimmy Butler a couple weeks ago um, and how that's going to kind of hold them back. Uh, he's just kind of been the engine behind their team uh, for the majority of the year, especially lately, and uh, he's just kind of turned it on since we got to 2018. But Minnesota, because of where they sit tiebreaker-wise, um, they do have uh, – they've, they've clinched three of their tiebreakers. Um, they're leading in two more. Um, they've – uh, um, one is tied, locked in at tied. That's the one with Portland, and then they are currently, uh, and then they have one more with their tied um, with one with one game remaining, so that they can easily flip to to their column. So theoretically, Minnesota, if they wins the games that they need to win, they could turn and have all, own all the tiebreakers except for the one that they're tied in with Portland, and that's huge. Um, if it comes down to a couple couple games here at the end, especially they're just going to be scraped for wins without Jimmy Butler. Um, that's going to make a huge difference for them. They've also played the most games so far, so they've banked a good amount of wins. They, they do have the most wins out of this group at 38. And they don't have a ton left against the tank tanking teams. Um, they only have four left against teams that are you know in the bottom part of that league, the, like eight, game, eight teams that are racing for the bottom. But um, three of them come in a row. They, they have Memphis at home, Atlanta at home, and at Dallas during a stretch from March 26th to March 30th where they don't play a back-to-back, but they play three games and five nights. But because it's those teams, um, that's a three games and five nights that they should be able to <clears throat> rattle off a three-game win streak from, which will be huge in securing their playoff spot. Um, if they, I think if they rip off those three wins especially, that'll just kind of lock them into the playoffs and possibly lead them to a, a solid seed. Um, next in line, we have New Orleans um, for the tiebreakers. They have uh, they've won one. They're leading in two. <clears throat> they're tied in one. They're losing in one, and then they've lost two that they can't get back. And so um, they're kind of middle of the road when it comes to the tiebreakers. I think um, very well the tiebreakers might shift them maybe down a seed the way it'll play out now, but shouldn't knock them completely out of the playoffs. Um, Davis has been an absolute beast. I know I for one thought that as soon as Cousins went down, that was probably gonna be the end of New Orleans' kind of hopes for the season. They were going to have a downward trajectory and, and, and maybe even miss the playoffs and maybe even consider tanking just to, to, to add a good asset. But they've kind of gone the other way, and Davis has used this time to put the team on his back and, and kind of show Boogie that, look, this is what we can do. Um, if you When you come back, we'll, we can be unstoppable because right now we're a dominant force and we don't even have you out there. Um, since Boogie went to, uh, in the last uh, – since the start of February uh, – Davis has averaged 35 and 15, including five 40 point, point, 40 plus point games, which have all been wins. Um, and the Pelicans are eight and three in that run. And like I said, they went from kind of looking, they were just outside of the playoffs looking in, um, and then they just, and then they had um, Cousins go down. So it looked very much like, oh, it's probably it for the Pelicans. They're not going to make the playoffs. We um, and they're going to have to figure out what to do in Cousins by walk to. Now they're they're fighting for a top four seed. Um, you know they're they're half game behind Minnesota and a full game behind Portland for the for the three and four seeds respectively. And so they are definitely in a position to to make a strike. Um, they obviously they don't have the easiest schedule uh, for the rest of the way. Um, they do have to play seven teams within this race that are all going to be kind of going at it pretty hard. But uh, and but they do they uh, and they do have three back to backs left, which is going to be tough on them. They do have the most games, but most of them are at home. Twelve of them are at home, and if um, they, they they they're still in a position, especially with Davis playing like this. I mean, right now Anthony Davis is kind of playing like like he should be recognized as a top five player in the league. And if he can keep up playing like this, there's there's really no limit uh, 
to what they can do, and I would certainly expect them to kind of stay where they are, if not move up a little bit. Then moving on to uh, San Antonio, um, kind of with all the Ka Ka Kawhi drama um, in San Antonio Mountaining, um, they, they kind of look lost. Uh, they were a, a solid three seed just a couple weeks ago, and now they're kind of in a free fall. Um, they're sitting at the sixth seed now. They've lost eight of their last ten. Um, they're only on pace to get 46 wins. Um, and the uh, 530 only, only gives them a 65% chance of the playoffs. The 46-win pace is kind of is what's the scariest for me just because, um, you know, San Antonio is currently um, on, on the way to having if – they, if they got uh, 50 wins this year, it would be 20 straight years um, with 50 wins every year for them, and that's uh, kind of incredible to think about. Um, no team has really come close to that achievement since Russell Celtics in the, uh, in the 60s, and so to, to see San Antonio's – just two decades of just dominance at the top of the league, and it could all crumble and fall. Um, this year is kind of sad, but with Duncan retiring, I think the expectation was this to happen at some point. But um, after the whole uh, pop getting uh, quippy with the media and saying he didn't expect to see Kawhi back, we've we've seen movement on that front. It looks like Kawhi might actually make a return, whether whether it be mid to late March, <clears throat> and I think that that would definitely revitalize them. They they definitely miss him out there and any t time you have any ch any chance where you get uh your best player back who also happens to be a top five top ten player when he's on the floor um that could definitely shift things considerably um for san antonio for the tiebreakers they've won one they've tied one they've lost one um they're tied in uh three more and they're losing in one so not not a not in great position tiebreaker wise but i definitely think um that pop is probably just biding his time um san at any point san antonio can just bust out a game where they just play beautifully um, they shoot the ball well, they lock in on defense, and uh, you never know what's going to happen um, with them, and they can always just kind of kind of pull it, pull it out of there. Um, I've talked at length about how, how well that they drill and how well that they play, and they execute perfectly, and so um, I would expect Pop to probably be keeping a, thing, a card or two up his sleeve um, and hoping that they can scrape into the playoffs where they're at, and then when the playoffs come around, whether or not Kawhi is back, they kind of pull out all the cards and say, like, let's and uh, kind of flip up first round matchup um and that's definitely something that i would not be surprised by and it would actually be crazy to just kind of count them out i, I know 538 has them at 65% um which is only the third uh, the, the, that's the third lowest of this group only that's only above uh the clippers and utah are both currently out of the race and so um even though san antonio six, sits sixth uh both okc at seventh uh, and Denver at 8th have larger percentage chances to make the playoffs, and OKC is actually 20% higher than San Antonio. Um, and so, but I think, uh, I, I would expect them to pull it off, especially if Kawhi gets back. If Kawhi gets back, then it, you kind of really, there's no real barometer for what this team can do if you add back Kawhi. All right, so moving on to OKC. OKC is actually um, next to the Clippers in uh, the worst position tiebreaker-wise. They're locked into losing three. They're locked into win to winning two, um, but they're tied on one and losing in the other one. So, uh, if those last two don't don't flip their their way, they could have lost five of the seven possible tiebreakers. Um, however, uh, uh, OKC has got a pretty tough uh, schedule to end the season. Um, starting on March sixteenth for the last uh, last three weeks of the season, about they do not play a team below five hundred uh, until the last game of the season. They'll have the Grizzlies to close out the season, but. Um, they continue to be driven by P. Uh, Westbrook and Paul George. Um, however, I think Stephen Adams is probably the most underrated uh, aspect of their team. 
Uh, he's been a vacuum on the offensive glass, just getting everything. Um, he boxes out at such an elite level that even though, you know, he's currently averaging like nine rebounds a game and five of them are offensive rebounds, which is like incredible for someone to average below double digit rebounds, but have the majority of them come on the offensive end. But that's because especially if you watch his game, um, Adams just blocks out so well in the defensive end, but then doesn't isn't worried about getting the defensive rebound as long as he makes sure a teammate can get it, whether it be Westbrook, PG, or someone else. Um, he almost will. Sometimes you can see him deferential, and I don't think that's as much to get Westbrook or Paul George their stats as it is to let them start the break, which is better than their, their – better for their offense than if he just kind of gets it and has to take his time getting it out there. This lets Westbrook run in transition where he's great. Uh, and same with Paul George. Um, despite that, I think, uh, I think the biggest worries, most worrisome part for their team is just Carmelo just continues to just not look great. He doesn't look himself. Um, he doesn't get to the line anymore like he did in his youth or even in the last couple of years. He continues to just kind of be the sedentary guy that's not playing great defense and he just wants to take long jumpers on offense. And when they're not falling, you know, he can be a negative out there. Um, and so I think Melo, I think that how they perform in the playoffs and it, even if and it, it, even and getting to the playoffs is kind of going to rest on how well can Melo kind of get his groove back, kind of get back into his game. Not not in a full Melo mode, but like if we if he can give eighty percent of what he gives in the Olympics, is this just kind of elite, um, elite off the drip, off ball guy who just hits everything, kind of reigns reigns from three and and just kind of does the little things off the ball then. If he can get to you know eighty percent of what we see from him in the Olympics, I think that would make a huge difference for them. And and with him uh, paired next to Westbrook and George and, and and Adams, then they they definitely have the talent to not only make the playoffs, fight for a top seed, but if they don't get a top seed, put a scare in whoever they're playing. Uh, moving on to Denver, uh, Denver's uh, Denver's also got a, got a tough stretch, kind of like OKC does. Denver's last ten games are against above five hundred teams, including a East Coast. Uh, swing uh right before that starts where they have to go at the heat at the bulls at the wizards at the 76ers at the raptors and then they finish at the thunder and that's those those six games happen over 11 days and that's just going to be a brutal stretch for denver um obviously the the home court advantage for them is incredible being at altitude and so having to leave altitude for an 11 game stretch where you know theoretically other than the bulls game they could they could honestly go one for five in that stretch and that would just kill their playoff chances and i so i think um, that that stretch is gonna is gonna determine whether or not they make the playoffs. If they go, you know, three and three or four and two over that stretch, somehow I think uh, I would expect them to finish in the playoffs. But anything worse than that is almost certainly just kind of tank their season unless everyone else is losing as well. Just that is a brutal stretch to have to do to have to deal with. And you know, teams like that, the Wizards, 76ers, the Raptors, they all play incredible offense. And you know, if you're not locked in on defense on any given night, they're gonna run up the score on you. And even though um, Denver has been finding ways to win games despite having a bad uh, defense kind of in the same vein that the Cavs have figured it out. They're going to have to lock in on defense. They're going to have to figure out something that works, that can motive, can, can kind of push them to at least, you know, a, a mediocre defense um, instead of where they're at now in the bottom 10, or they're going to they're gonna find themselves on the outside looking in, um, and that's for sure. Okay, and so now to move on to the Clippers. <clears throat> the Clippers... Um, they're not in a good place tiebreaker wise, uh, either. They're like the Thunder. Um, they've lost three, they're leading in one, um, losing in one, and they're tied in two with games left. So three of their series has been decided and the other four could all turn out to be ties or losses, um, which is not good for them. The Clippers also have, uh, the most games left on back-to-backs. They have four separate back-to-backs left and they have most games in the teams, uh, against teams in, in this playoff race that I've talked about today. So... 
that makes for them having probably the the hardest schedule left, which which is of any of these teams, and I don't think it's particularly close. Uh, the Clippers have an especially brutal uh, stretch where they have to go back to back at Rockets at Thunder, then they're home for Thor- for the Portland, and then they're back to back at Wolves at Bucks. And so, kind of similarly like that stretch I talked about with Denver, that's gonna that's gonna be a make or break stretch for the Clippers. One and four there, they're gonna certainly be out of the playoffs. Oh and five there, they're gonna they're gonna just see their kind of season evaporate, you know. But if they somehow pull three and two, or maybe save for two and three, that'll go a long way to kind of earning them uh, a place in the playoffs. Like I said, currently they're they're on the outside looking in. They're about a game behind Denver, and so given they're kind of on the outside looking in right now, that doesn't make it so that they can't uh, get into the into the um, playoffs. But they obviously have work to do in a tough and with a tough stretch like they do, um, it's going to be significant work. But the the uh, Clippers have looked good since the Blake trade. Um, they've been they've been eight and four since the trade with the eighth best offense in the league, and they've kind of fully embraced this uh, tough nose tough nosed defensive culture um, with guys like Pat Bev and DeAndre Jordan. They're just kind of locking up more. Um, and and you know, although their defense hasn't been great since Blake left, you can just kind of see this kind of more hustle. Um, Montrezl Harrell's in, in on it too, where they're just kind of they're a little bit more gritty than they were. And I think that that's definitely helping them. Um, also, Tobias Harris has played uh, just as well, if not better, than Griffin since the trade. And uh, this is kind of something that I, I commented on at the time and a feeling that I had is that uh, Tobias kind of had the, the ability um, to just kind of be a little bit more versatile of a kind of wing slash post score and could maybe do and facilitate a little bit better than Griffin was currently. And I think that's what we're seeing, especially given the uh, fit issues and struggles in Detroit as part of the trade. But and another... Um, interesting wrinkle that I think we'll see over the last couple weeks of the season is the uh, what they showed in, in their comeback win against Denver, where they kind of deployed uh, Boban in, in an interesting way. You know, Boban is obviously he 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 has he has very clear cut weaknesses. You know, he doesn't have a consistent outside game. He's a little slow, can't stay with shooting bigs and bigs that are pretty mobile. Um, he can get exploited in the pick and roll, and so we have to play with certain parameters with him, but. With the trade-off for that, what you get is, is he's extremely efficient in, in, in the in the paint, especially in the restricted area. His height just makes him a burden for other guys to guard, and and the Clippers pretty pretty adeptly deployed him against Denver. Um, Denver was able to attack him consistently in the pick-and-roll, but uh, because Denver's um, guards like to pass out of the pick-and-roll a little bit more, um, you don't see Jamal Murray and Gary Harris um, getting downhill as often and just going straight to the basket or being super aggressive or getting a drag pick and roll and transition and attacking hard. You see them more pass out of the pick and roll and kind of find open guys and, and move the ball that way. Um, that way ha- obviously has its merits and, and you love to see that. But again, a, a, with a guy like Boban, that kind of lets him uh, scramble it a little bit and get back and get set. Rather, rather, if you're a more aggressive guy, like even someone like Russell Westbrook or whatever, who gets downhill immediately on a pick and roll because Boban's a little slower, his lateral quickness isn't great, um, you can attack Boban so uh, pretty quickly, and if you're aggressive, you can throw him off balance and get get right to the rim for either a foul or or an easy bucket or force rotations and get an open three. Whereas when Denver passed out of the pick and roll, you saw the ability for Boban to at least recover a little bit, even though he did did pretty consistently get burnt once Denver fi- figured out what the Clippers were doing. So um, I do expect the Clippers to continue to deploy Boban in certain situations, which will make him effective like they did against Denver. And, you know, as another team, you have to game plan for that and be ready for what that's going to do to your defense and how your offense needs to change to attack that um, correctly. And, and, and in a regular season where, you know, you've got so many games so often, um, it's hard to make those adjustments on the fly, you know, especially if you don't have time to practice and you're flying in and flying out. And so that, that does um, play to the Clippers' advantage in the regular season, although it's not nearly as much of an advantage in the playoffs with, when a team has time to game plan.
Um, so for the final team, uh, we have Utah, and Utah is best positioned tiebreaker-wise besides Minnesota. Um, they've won one, they've tied one, they've lost one. They're losing in one, but they're leading in three. Um, um, and those are those are two one um, in the season series against Portland, New Orleans, and the Clippers. And so with the wins in the last game, that'll bump them up to having the tiebreakers, and that could go a long way for them, especially because they're the farthest out of the playoffs right now. They're a game behind the Clippers and two games behind Denver, so they're they're the, they're the most far outside of looking in. But they're kind of on their way. They're they're in that position where they play their cards right. They could very well wind up um, in the playoffs with a with a tough with um, some good play. Um, and I, I was gonna uh, part of the loss of last week's podcast was a deep dive into Utah and um, kind of their winning streak and how well they were playing. Um, obviously, their defensive intensity and Rudy Gobert kind of make them uh, special in their own way and is, is a position where they could give, you know, even Houston or Golden State. I don't think Utah would necessarily take a game from either of those teams, but they'd, they'd give them headaches um, and they'd make it a physical matchup that even if it's a four games of physicality that neither team would like. But um, Donovan Mitchell has basically been keeping Utah afloat, um, kind of running the offense, and they need him to continue to play that way and the offense to kind of figure it out. They need uh, Joe Ingles to continue to play well, you know, shoot the ball as well as he has been. If they want their offense to stay afloat and to stay in the playoff race, um, what they do have going for them, uh, come for the playoff race, is they have the most games against teams in the tank race right now. It's seven, seven of their nineteen games are against teams in the tank race, and you know five thirty eight has them. They're at thirty three wins right now, sixty two percent chance to make the playoffs, which is the second lowest. Uh, the Clippers have the lowest at fifty eight percent chance, but they do have those seven tank games, and if they can bank all seven of those, that's that's going to go a long way. Um, that'll jump them up from thirty three to forty wins. Um, and then they just got to kind of scrape and claw, get a couple more here and there. Um, they have seven against the tank, and they have uh, two more against below 500 teams. You sweep all those, you know, that, that puts that put you at 42, and, and you're creeping there where of those last, you know, 10 games you have, you only got to win, you only got to take a couple, and if it's the couple against Portland, New Orleans, and the Clippers, that might make the difference um, in making the playoffs for them. So that kind of wraps up uh, going over the Western Conference playoff race and kind of what I expect. Um, like I said, if I had to make picks right now, I would probably I would probably stay put down and say Portland, Minnesota, New Orleans, San Antonio, OKC, and I, and I guess I'd probably stay with Denver. I I, I think I would stay how it is. I th I expected to shuffle a little bit. I, I probably I think I will. I think um, San Antonio might drop. OKC might go up. And um, New Orleans might might flip over Minnesota, depending on how well they play versus how much uh, Jimmy Butler's loss hurts them. Um, obviously, there's a chance for the Clippers and Utah to sneak in, and if I think they're going to sneak in. It's because Denver falls out. Uh, if Den Denver gets killed over that rough stress, over that rough stress stretch that we went over, and and I do think if Denver falls out, it's going to be Utah to take their place and not the Clippers. I would not expect the Clippers to make the playoffs, even though they're playing well. I just, they're not in a good place tiebreaker-wise. They have a tough schedule, and um, I just, I, I think um, down the stretch that we'll see other teams kind of take it up to another notch that even though the Clippers have a solid team right now, they just don't have the ability to take it up to another level. Um, and so that'll, that can kind of, uh, that's what I expect to happen, but either way, it's going to be super exciting. And you know, if come a couple of these games are close towards the end, you know, a big shot here or there can completely flip this this race on its head. So, uh, before closing out this week's podcast, I just want to kind of talk about the, the Cavs uh, post trade. Um, you know, after the Cavs, you know, they were they won the first game after their big trade overhaul against the Hawks, but that was that was kind of expected. And then two days later, they had to go to go to the Boston Garden for the Paul Pierce tribute game. And they uh, surprisingly they just kind of pounded the Celtics in the into the ground. They beat them by more than twenty points. Um, they made the Celtics look bad up and down all game. Um, they just kind of looked at another speed. And following this game, 
pretty predictably, basically every NBA pun, pundit, you know, the guys, hot take guys, Colin Cowherd, you know, Nick Wright, those guys who just kind of get up and, you know, they have a mic and so they're just going to say the craziest thing possible. They just all jump, oh, the Cavs are back. They figured it out. They got LeBron, the LeBron, the help he needs. They're the clear best team in the East now. They're probably just as good as, if not better than Golden State and Houston and just making all these crazy, crazy predictions um, based on a tiny sample size, which, you know, for one thing that all the basketball old heads like to do is they like to say, oh, the statistical guys, you know, we focus on, they focus on things that, and uh, they don't take into account sample size and they just make claims. They don't even watch the games. Well, these guys watched a game, look, they, they watched one game, looked at one score and said, oh, they're, they're the best team again anymore without even like looking into the further details of it or, or thinking that, you know, maybe this is just, you know, a, a spur of the moment thing. And a couple weeks later, it looks like it might have been a spur of a moment thing. Uh, Cavs are five and four since the deadline. You know, they won four of their first five, and since then they've won one of their last uh, three or one of their last four. And so they're currently in the third seed, but they're only a half a game above the Wizard, only a game above Indiana, and only a game and a half up above Philly. And Philly just had a wire to wire defeat over the Cavs on Thursday, which looked pretty impressive. Where the Philly just kind of got in with the Cavs. They said, "Look." We can hang with you, and we're not scared of you. Um, I mean, the benefits are the Cavs. You know, the Cavs have played with a lot better energy since the deadline. LeBron looks rejuvenated. You know, he he's kind of figuring out with these young guys. The young guys get him a different look to throw at teams, and I think that's probably part of what we've seen them kind of see some immediate successes. Some the teams have to figure out how to play him defensively and offensively to kind of figure him out. But um, when you kind of dive into the Cavs, uh, kind of the Cavs stats, well while taking into account what we see on the screen is uh, it's, it's a little bit more worrisome than, than teams guys want to let off. Like I said, they're 5-4. and four. They've had the fifth best offense since the deadline, but they, their defense has been 29th since the deadline, so second worst. Um, and their net rating is only the playing like a 40-win uh, team. And they're actually what's mostly worrisome is they're they're performing, they're outperforming their net rating by about 5.6 wins over that span. And so that, that stat can be a little misleading. And you're like, oh, it's a nine-game span. They won five games. If they're outperforming by five games, wouldn't that mean they, they would lose them all? And not necessarily. It's just saying the pace they're playing at now, the way they're winning games at the pace they are now, is five games more than they expect. You expect them to win 40 games if they played at this level through an entire season. But some of the wins that they've gotten, it looked like they would win 45 games, and that's five more games than five more wins than expected. So that's not good. And when you kind of take a deep look into the, into their games, you know, after watching some of them and looking at pouring over the box scores, what you see is the Cavs have been wildly inconsistent, and their 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 games have kind of hinged on their ability to hit threes. Um, their five wins have come every single time they've shot in 38% from three or better, they've won, um, including four of the five wins being shooting 40% or better, and one was like 40, one was even above 50%. So those are those are non-sustainable things that we will not see consistently in the playoffs. Um, and the four losses have come when they've shot below 38%, So and especially three of those four losses have come when they've shot under 30% from three. So they've had, they've had four in this nine-game stretch, they've only had Two games where they've shot in between 30 and 40 percent. They've had four games where they've shot over 40 percent, and they've sh they've had three games where they've shot under 30 percent. This wild variation is something that, if we see this on a on a game to game basis in the playoffs, that's not gonna that's gonna spell doom for them because if if you can't be consistent with how well you shoot, then you're gonna get yourself in trouble pretty quickly. So. I think kind of what to take from this is not that, oh, the Cavs are in more trouble that they're giving, or maybe the Cavs will get bounced, or maybe they won't even make the playoffs. That's not what I'm saying. I still expect them to make the playoffs, you know, and probably win their first-round series behind LeBron. Although right now they're matched up with the 76ers, which will be a tough matchup for them because they don't really have anyone to guard and beat. But I think one thing to take here is that even, even, um, 
it's it's bad to do this one game narrative structure. We'll see it happen in the playoffs. I've kind of bemoaned it in the past, but the narrative the the idea that narratives should shift radically based on one single game is is bad for the eye test. It's bad for the analytics people. It's just kind of bad for basketball. You got to take multiple games at a time. You got to look at the whole picture. And and I think um, people like to take this, do these one game narratives things, and then oh, it was the analytics guys that say that when most of the analytics guys were sitting there on on Sunday on the, on the Sunday night where the Celtics lost to the Cavs and saying ah, oh, you know, this is a great performance by the Cavs. Saw some really good stuff, but um, that doesn't mean this is indicative of how they're going to play the rest of the season. So um, that'll be it for the. Uh, Tickle the podcast this week. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. Again, sorry for missing out on next uh, last week. You know, uh, when you have technical difficulties, it's kind of hard to to make things work, especially with a small shop like we are here at Tickle the Twine. So, um, uh, rate review. You know, stay subscribed. Keep listening. Share with your friends. Um, we're gonna pretty good coverage uh, throughout the rest of the season, and then um, kind of as we get closer to the playoffs and during the playoffs when there's less action coming, we'll kind of pivot and do some do some draft coverage, you know, maybe do a special March Madness episode, that kind of stuff. So um, if you'd like to hear anything sp- specific, you know, leave a rate, review, um, tweet at me, wh- whatever you got to do. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Woo!